And our scripture reading this morning comes from uh, 1 Peter. So I'll invite you to turn there with me to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. And we'll be again reading verses 1 uh, through 10. And then this morning we'll be uh, focusing uh, on verses 6 uh, through 10 as our uh, passage to focus on. So 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, again, a uh, letter uh, from the Apostle to Christians like us, uh, facing a, a world that often can be uh, difficult, uh, can be hostile uh, to believers. And so this is what we read, First Peter chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, and like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your scripture. We, Lord, don't want to take for granted the, uh, the wonder it is that we can have you uh, speaking uh, to us and uh, that we can know clearly your will for our lives. And we thank you, dear God, that you have given this word to us and your word is is truth. And so, Lord, we pray that we would not be simply hearers of the word, but, but doers of the word. And we pray, Lord, for the work of your Holy Spirit. For, Lord, we know that unless uh, the Holy Spirit is at work, these words will remain uh, upon the page. But with the work of your Holy Spirit, uh, you take these words and the preached word, and you etch them upon our hearts uh, to your glory and for our good. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, there's times when you're reading uh, the uh, New Testament letters, I'm sure, the Apostle Peter or the Apostle Paul, uh, when you uh, find yourself thinking that, uh, boy, these, uh, these apostles use a lot, of, a lot of adjectives and they use a lot of long sentences and they, they seem to often go on and on about a certain topic, especially uh, when it comes to Christ. Or when it comes to, in Peter's case, in this little passage here, uh, when it comes to describing what uh, God has done for us uh, in Christ. 
Uh, like the uh, opening chapter of the letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians 1, where the Apostle Paul uh, just starts rattling off all the privileges of God's people, and he can't seem to find enough words to describe just who we are in Christ. It's kind of the same for Peter, and uh, he, uh, he seems to love to proclaim his praises. And, uh, and that's why you get that impression as you read through the New Testament. They're proclaiming the praises of our God. Now, Peter has, uh, has just been, uh, bit, just finished describing uh, that those who've been uh, born uh, anew, born again by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God, have this uh, infant-like craving for the Word. Uh, they long for more of the Word of God. They want to hear God speak to them. Uh, and uh, they come to Jesus Uh, the living stone as living stones themselves. As they come to Jesus, they become lively stones, and they fulfill their function as lively stones uh, in the spiritual house uh, that God is building. As the master mason, he takes us as lively stones who've come to Jesus, and he puts us together in a particular way for his glory, molding us, shaping us, uh, bumping off all those sharp edges so that we can nicely fit in. Uh, to the spiritual house of God. And, and we're a holy priesthood. That is, we are set apart as, as, as the priests were in the Old Testament, but we are set apart to offer our whole life, our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our wills, uh, as spiritual sacrifices, pleasing and acceptable to God. And the only way anything we do or say or sing is acceptable to God is through Jesus Christ, because He has died on the cross for our sins, and all that is sinful in what we do. And even our best givings to God is still tainted by sin, but they come to God the Father through Jesus Christ and through His blood, and they are acceptable to Him. But that's not all. Peter's not done, of course, describing who we are in Christ. Verses 6 through 10 says a lot more. Uh, He not only wants to remind them of who they are, but in these verses he wants to contrast who we are as Christians uh, with what we once were. Uh, and so he again wants uh, you as a believer and believers in the f- first century uh, to remember that as they're making their way through the world, as they're trying to live a faithful uh, Christian life as pilgrims on their journey, often facing indeed a hostile culture uh, who doesn't love Christ, doesn't love the Bible, and certainly doesn't love a lot of things the Bible says, uh, that as we're trying to make our way as Christians in this life, uh, we need to understand that there is this, this, this great uh, difference between uh, the life you used to live and the person you used to be and the person you are now as a living stone connected to the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And this is what he says. But you, verse 9, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people... Uh, for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. They are Christians, remember, says Peter, are chosen, uh, they are royal, that is, they serve a king, uh, they are holy, they're set apart, and they're a people for his own uh, possession. And so the first thing we uh, need to notice, first of all, that uh, this is exactly what was said of God's people in the Old Testament when they came out of Egypt and uh, before they received the law at Mount Sinai. Exodus 19, 5 and 6, this is what we read. Now, therefore, 
If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God's people are one, whether it's the old covenant or the new covenant. Uh, We're given the same titles as the old covenant people of God because there's one people of God. God's people have ever and always been chosen to be God's treasured possession, a people for his own possession. Actually, back in Exodus, instead of uh, translating that as treasured or a people for his own possession, sometimes uh, Bible translations translate that as that God's people are his, uh, his special people or his peculiar people. Maybe you remember that translation, a peculiar people, set apart, special. Now, of course, God's people aren't special, uh, mind you, in the sense of odd and unnatural or weird. Sometimes when you think about God's people being a peculiar people or a special people, uh, you think of something unnatural or strange. Like this past week, I was reading in uh, the Christian magazine, World uh, Magazine, about a man who uh, walked up um, Pikes Peak in Colorado, over 14,000 feet. You say, well, that's not too weird. Uh, While he walked up Pikes Peak, uh, pushing a peanut with his nose, uh, 14,000 feet. And beyond that, as you read that article, turns out he's the sixth person to do it. It's like, what? All right, Uh, well, yeah, that's kind of natural. That's weird. That is peculiar. But then when we say God's people are peculiar or special or something like that, uh, we're saying we're special in the eyes of God. It's not saying we're unnatural. Um, not special because uh, the way you dress or the way you comb your hair or the way you eat or those kind of things. Uh, but uh, while well, the dictionary says special means this, uh, a distinct or particular kind or character, it means having a specific or particular function or purpose. And third, the dictionary says special means being distinguished or different from what is ordinary or usual particular kind, purpose, and uh, different. Now, was Peter saying that God has set apart the Christian church to be a group of uh, bizarre people, you know, as his people? Uh, Maybe, you know, Christians are supposed to uh, sleep standing up, or maybe they are supposed to have three hands, or maybe when you believe in Christ, you grow wings out of your back or something like that. Uh, Of course not, but he did mean this. Christians are special or peculiar and treasured in the sense that they belong exclusively to to Christ. That's why the ESV translates uh, this language uh, in this way, a people for his own possession, a treasured possession, um, like you have treasured possessions. So Christians are special people uh, because they are or ought to be distinguishable from others. They're different. Uh, We're different in kind and character. We have a particular purpose and function, uh, and uh, we are distinguished in the crowd. How ought they to be distinguished? Well, this is Peter's point this morning. The people of God are distinguished, or God's own possession, or set apart in three particular ways. We are a believing people, uh, we are a mercy-receiving people, and we are a proclaiming people. This is what makes us his own possession. So first of all, we are a believing people. Uh, What characterizes living stones who found their home in a spiritual house of God is, first of all, the fact that they are believers. Notice what verse uh, 4 said, as you come to him, Jesus 
the living stone. Now, how do you come to Jesus? Well, you don't come to him physically. You come to him uh, by faith. Uh, You come believing. You come as believers. You come trusting Jesus. Now, historically, uh, theologians have said, well, well, faith or belief really consists of three things. It has to do with knowing something about Jesus, knowing the facts about Jesus. It has to do with uh, affirming and, um, um, and assenting that, yes, Jesus is who he said he was, the Son of God, come to save us from our sin. But it also includes a then uh, a trusting in Jesus and embracing Jesus, uh, actually putting your life in his hands. That's what makes you a believer. Because, you know, in the Bible, the Bible talks about people who believed in Jesus following him, but then, then he says something challenging and all of a sudden they leave. Right? Because they weren't... They weren't really, they weren't believers in Jesus. They had some kind of faith, which meant they knew something about Jesus. And they said something that they believed to be true. But when it came right down to it, Jesus says some hard things, and they don't embrace him, they run away. And of course, the devil is not a believer. But he knows Jesus, and he he affirms, yes, Jesus is who he said he was. Remember the demons. We know that you are the Holy One of God. But what devils and Satan does not do, of course, is trust Jesus. And so these are believers. Uh, Christians are believers in that full sense of trusting Jesus. And this is what Peter says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That is, if you put your trust in Jesus, there will never be a time in your life when it will come to you to say, oh, this was a big mistake. I wasted my entire life. Peter says that will never happen to a believer. So the honor, he says, is for you who believe. Those who do not believe in Jesus, Peter says, they stumble over him, they take offense at Jesus, and this stumbling and disobedience is not a surprise to God. Even as there are those chosen to believe, there are those appointed and destined to stumble in this way over the word. God is sovereign. So here is what makes you a peculiar and special people, says Peter. You are believers. You're believers specifically in the word because notice what unbelievers do. They stumble because they disobey the word. Believers in Jesus, believers uh, come uh, to Jesus. Uh, Believers are, are those who trust in his word. So here's the thing. There are two kinds of people in the world, according to the Apostle Peter. There are believers in Jesus who come to Jesus who uh, believe the word of God. And there are those who do not believe Jesus, do not come to Jesus. They take offense at Jesus. They reject Jesus and they disobey the word. Over in chapter four of this letter, Peter will say this, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So the gospel about Jesus that you hear every week, yes, it comes to you as the proclamation of God, but uh, every time you hear it, uh, you are either believing or disbelieving. And when you disbelieve, the Bible says you're disobeying the word. It's an act of your, your will. You're rejecting Jesus. You're not coming to him. Um, there is no neutrality with Jesus. Peter says there's believers and there's unbelievers. Uh, Jesus made this plain in Matthew 12, 30. He said, those not with me are uh, against me. That's very important for us. Every time we, we walk the street, every time we come to a place of worship, there are believers. And those who are 
disobeying the Lord. You know, a man being swept away in a roaring river towards a deadly falls cannot be neutral uh, toward the one who is extending their hands to save them, right? You can't, as you're plumb, as you're, uh, you know, you're heading down this river, you're about to plummet over the falls to your death. Someone, someone comes to save, and you say, "I'm not sure yet. I'll think it over when I get to the bottom." No, there's no neutrality, either believer or unbeliever. This is what the Bible says. This is why one of the membership vows asks, uh, membership vows of the OPC, "Do you trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation?" Do you believe in Jesus uh, as your only salvation? And an anonymous, uh, anonymous writer in the 17th century wrote this hymn, Christ is made the sure foundation, Christ the head and cornerstone, chosen of the Lord and precious, binding all the church in one, holy Zion's help forever, and her confidence alone. Are you a believer? Do you believe in Jesus Christ alone? Have you come... And are you coming to Jesus Christ alone for salvation? What do you believe when you come to Jesus? Well, the reason you come to Jesus is because he's the only one who can save you. He's the only mediator between God and men. God's holy. We're a sinner. You come to Jesus because he is the righteous one. He's the one who shed his blood so that all who believe in him might not perish but have everlasting life. And you don't want to die. And you're thankful to God for providing a savior because if you don't have a Savior uh, who takes that judgment of God against your sin upon Him, you will have to face the judgment of God upon your sin. And so you come to Jesus. And so, yes, uh, as the hymn writer put it, just as I am, I come. <laughs> I come. You know, believer. So the honors for you who believe is what Peter says. Now, interestingly, in the same Greek word from which we translate honor, there in verse 7, lies underneath the word precious used in verses 4 and 6 to describe Jesus. So Jesus is the chosen and precious cornerstone, but honor and precious here have the same root word. So what is being said of Jesus in the sight of God is also true, says Peter, of believers in the sight of God. Uh, Believers were already described as chosen back in verse 1 as this letter opened or elect, but here they're described as uh, receiving honor. So the honor, uh, uh, the preciousness is for you who believe. Uh, that is, believers are precious to God. So you are a believer, precious, chosen, precious in union with Christ. Even as the Son is chosen and precious, so you are chosen and precious as a believer in Christ before God. Now, I don't think any literature fans can hear the word precious without thinking of Gollum from Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Gollum, the hobbit who has been terribly deformed in body and soul, um, with his fascination with this uh, ring that's been, been uh, fashioned in the fires of Mordor. And whenever he sees this ring or speaks of this ring, he calls that ring, my precious. That's what he says. My treasure, my possession. That's what it means. He's, of course, warped by evil. Now, if we can be captivated by evil that way, in a completely opposite way, we need to understand that the Lord calls his people precious to him. The honor is for you who believe, that is, to know that you're chosen and precious to God as a living stone in the spiritual house, just as Jesus Christ is chosen and precious to God as the living stone 
and cornerstone of the house. That's all true, says Peter, of the believer in Jesus and the believer in his word. We are a believing people. And we are a mercy-receiving people. Notice what he says. You are a chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once, that's you, if you're a believer, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God has made those not a people into the people of God. Now, the promise of God to call to himself a people was heard in the day of Hosea. Israel had been unfaithful, and the question, of course, was, would God reject them forever? What happens to to God's promise to Abraham that all all the nations of the earth would be blessed through his seed, but the people had been unfaithful, and, and, and what's going to happen to the people of God if God just punishes them, judges them, rejects them? How's there going to be a people? Is God's promise going to fail? These were the questions the Israelites were asking. And this is what we read in Hosea 1.10. Despite Israel's unfaithfulness, this is what it says. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And here Peter says, you know, that promise of, you know, that uh, you are not a people, you will be the children of the living God, or you will be my people, that's not just, says Peter, for the Jews. It's for, it's for all people. It's for Jews and Gentiles. We find that out, of course, in, in the book of Romans, when the Apostle Paul says this in Romans 9, 22, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which, we, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us, says Paul, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed, says Paul, he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you're not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. So this is what Peter's saying. Once, listen, you were not a people. You were not a part of the family of God. You were sheep without a shepherd. You're scattered, foreigners to the blessing of God. So according to the scripture, all who are far from God and Christ are are really non-people spiritually. It's not that everybody is in the family of God. No, no, we're not part of of the family of God at at birth at all. You see, we're we're a non-people. Only those who come to Christ are a real people, a united body that is God's people with Jesus being their King and Savior and Lord and Head. Once not a people. And so Israel was given all sorts of privileges in the Old Testament, called on by God, called by God to be a holy people, to be set apart, to be his 
treasured uh, possession, but uh, in being his treasured possession, they were by shining for God, by living according to his word, they were to attract the nations. Because they were so peculiar, that is, because they were clearly set apart and distinguished from all the other nations, um, and others were to come and to and say, what's this all about? Why are you not living for yourself, but living for this God? Why are, you, why are you not doing what the rest of the world is doing in Egypt and Syria and stuff like that? Why are you loving one another? Why are you sacrificing for one another? And, and, the, and, and, and the nations would be, would be drawn. And here's what Peter says. Now, Jew and Gentile would be made holy in one living fellowship. Not just the Jews who had forsaken God. God would have mercy on them, uh, make them his people, but, but Gentiles too would be part of that one people. So circumcision or uncircumcision, we read in the New Testament, it doesn't matter. What did matter and does matter is faith in Jesus Christ. Have you come to Jesus? What did matter is whether or not they were living stones who had been born anew to a living hope. What didn't matter was their skin color or their ethnic background, whether they ate pork or not, or whether they ate spaghetti uh, or haggis or droppies or whatever. Uh, None of that mattered. What mattered was, were they in a living relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ and knew him to be precious? Were they part of the spiritual house of God, offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ? What mattered was, once they were not a people, but now in Christ they were a people, God's people, belonging to him. Once they were strangers, foreigners, once they would come to worship and it didn't mean anything to them. And the people there meant nothing to them either. But now they're a part of God's people in God's family. What matters is they were children of God, sons of God, brought near through the blood and sacrifice of God's own son. These, says Peter to the church, these are your people. Your people. You know, we live in an age of, as many have said, of tribalism, right? The idea being that everybody has their own tribe. Now, the word people here in 1 Peter means really a community uh, united by a common loyalty. And, of course, that loyalty is to Jesus Christ as the head. That's what makes us God's people. We've come to Jesus. Uh, I mean, we have communities for everything today online. You know, whatever you're interested in, you can find people exactly like you. Whatever it is. Political interests, uh, pushing a certain social agenda. We have communities of gun owners. We have communities of gay rights advocates. We have communities of abortion promoters. We have uh, communities of teetotalers. Whatever it is, you name it, all kinds of people groups. And Peter says, what marks you as a Christian is this. You are God's people. Not anyone else's. Once not a people, now God's people. Once he says, no mercy. That is, once you've not received mercy, that means once you were under still the wrath of God. But now, says Peter, you have received mercy. You are a mercy receiving people. Again, in the face of Israel's unfaithfulness, Hosea We hear this, and I will have mercy, says God, on uh, her who had not obtained mercy. 
And I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they shall say, you are my God. That's what God promised. I will, I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. This is what Peter is saying. Christians are those who know that at one time they were under the wrath of God. As Paul puts it in Ephesians 2, like all the rest, uh, we were by nature children of wrath. That is, when we're born into the world, we're born sinners, and God is holy. And so a holy God punishes sin and must punish sin. And so we are born into this world under his just wrath. But now, because of Jesus... And because of Jesus taking upon himself the wrath that we deserve, we've now received mercy as we've come to him. This is who we are. We are a mercy uh, receiving people. Listen to, what, uh, listen to what the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So this mercy that Peter's talking about can only come from that throne. And it has been provided for us, says Peter, by the precious blood of the Savior. So Jew or Gentile, no matter who you are today, there is no other way to obtain it or to receive it. Only by coming to Christ do we know this mercy as ours. Only in Christ do we find that even though we were without mercy and by nature children of wrath, as the Bible writes, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's who you are, says Peter. Once not a people, now you're God's people. Once you're under the wrath of God, but now as you've come to Christ, you've received mercy. You're a mercy-receiving people. So we're a believing people. We're a mercy-receiving people. And uh, we are a proclaiming people. Proclaiming people. So it's very important to see, remember what we said at the beginning about a special treasure or a peculiar treasure or what the dictionary says? Well, um, yeah, a kind of character, uh, but also a kind of a special function, a special purpose. And Peter doesn't leave that out. It's very important to see the great purpose of God being worked out here. The purpose of believers, the purpose of God's people, the purpose in him showing us mercy is this. That he has given us the task to not just think about these great blessings and hide them in a nice box, but these things are true of us. That, Peter says, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a chosen race. That is, Jesus. we, we are united to Christ we're united in him. We are a royal priesthood. That is, we're offering those sacrifices to the king. We're a holy nation. That is, we're set apart as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We're a people for his own possession. Why? Well, Peter says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Uh, if you're with us in evening worship, you'll remember last uh, week we looked at Matthew 4, which speaks about Jesus coming, uh, and he comes, uh, uh, he comes uh, to the, to the, to the um, uh, Gentiles of Galilee, and he comes uh, as light in a place that was the shadow of death. He comes as light into the darkness. And we are transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light through the work of Jesus Christ. Now, this is all true of us, says Peter, and this is all true of us in Jesus so that uh, you and I would proclaim his excellencies. Now, of course, this was the same uh, call that God's people of old received, for instance, in Isaiah. Now, remember these words from the prophet Isaiah speaking about God's people, Isaiah 43 Verses 20 to 21, this is what he says. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people who I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Hear what God says there? You know, the wild animals praise God. How? I don't know. The Bible says they do. God provides for them. You, says the Lord, who know me, uh, whom I provide for, you are meant to declare my praises as well. This is what it means to be a Christian. You are a proclaiming People, each member of the Christian body, the spiritual house of God, while offering their bodies as a living sacrifice to God, offering spiritual sacrifices, coming to Christ as the living stone. You remember, you're desiring his word like, a, like an infant. You're finding him precious. You've tasted and seen that he is good. You're delighting to do his will. You're treasuring your calling as a holy nation and a special people. And uh, you know that you belong to him. You know that you are also given the calling to proclaim or to make known the excellencies are the praises of God to all men. This is why Paul, Peter, John, uh, in, in their letters and writings, seem to, oh, there's those sentences that go on and on. And there's all those adjectives about Christ, about who he is and his glory and who Christians are in Christ. That's why, because they know uh, that it is their calling to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. Now that word excellent uh, came in for a beating. I'm trying to remember when it was, but anyone remember a movie called Wayne's World? Mm, I guess I'm too old. There's a character in that movie, Wayne's World, who uh, whenever anything would happen, he'd say, excellent, excellent, you know, and uh, obviously I don't know what age I am, but anyway, no one seems to be recognizing these things, but but it was all the rage in the culture, excellent, you know, and, and that was a kind of a funny thing you'd say. Kind of like the word awesome, you know. Used to be awesome meant filled with awe and wonder. That's why it's used of God. Because we're to be filled with awe when we think about God and what he's done in Jesus. Same with the word excellent. Excellent, I mean, no, there's nothing like it. The excellencies, the amazing wonder that once I was not a person, not a people, now I am. Once I was under God's wrath, now I've received his mercy. Once I was living in the darkness, but now in Jesus I walk. I walk in the light. And Peter's point, friends, is this. 
the people of God, who know of the mercies of God, cannot help but do this. They want to make His praises known. We're compelled to sing, to speak, and to live before others, proclaiming that He is excellent. Because one way or the other, your life is proclaiming something about God. You're a professing Christian. One thing your life might be proclaiming about God is that um, he's a bore. He's a chore. I go to worship, but uh, I don't really want to. He's not really worthy of praise. I call myself a Christian, but I don't live for him. I don't follow the word, but I'm a Christian. And you're proclaiming, to, you're proclaiming something about God to everybody you meet. You're proclaiming to them that he's not worthy and that you can take his name upon your lips, but he doesn't mean anything to you. Or, says Peter, by how you speak and how you live and how you talk and how you sing and how you worship, you will proclaim to everybody around you how excellent is his name. How praiseworthy is this one? Because that, after all, is the purpose of being a believer, of a mercy receiver, that you might proclaim him to others in word and in deed. And you'll want to do that, and I'll want to do that when I remember the end of those who don't know him as precious who don't know how excellent God is, who don't know how how worthy of praise Jesus is, and how wonderful His mercy and grace is. And when you think about their end, because if they reject Jesus, uh, they will be lost forever. And so you want to make known to them, and say, you're living in darkness? Oh, let me tell you about the light. Or, uh, um, oh, you, you don't feel like you don't belong anywhere? Uh, let me tell you about the people of God. You're, you're burdened by your sin. You're, you're feeling judgment. You're, you, you know that God's angry with you because of your sin. You're under His wrath. Let me tell you about His mercy. And you will make known His excellencies that others might come to know Him. Let me just end with this because there's a wonderful example of this in the Gospels. When a man who, oh, he was in darkness. (laughs) He was not a people. Uh, He was not a believer until Jesus came into his life, cast out a demon out of this man. And this is what the Bible says. Jesus left, he was leaving after he had met this man. And the Bible says this in Mark 5, 18. As he, that's Jesus, was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons in the darkness, begged him, begged Jesus that he might be with him. Take me with you. I want to stay with you. And Jesus did not permit him. Mm -mm. That's not the plan. But he said to him, go home. Go home to your friends and tell them how much The Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And the Bible says he went away and began to proclaim. (laughs) 
in the Decapolis, 10 Greek cities, how much Jesus had done for him and everyone, the Bible says, marveled. There it is, you see. Chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for his own possession that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Is that you? Believer, mercy receiver, proclaimer. May that be true of us. May that be true of me. May that be true of you today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you, dear God, that there is mercy at the cross. We thank you that whoever we are today, Lord, that we might find in him, in coming to Jesus, that we might find life and light and hope, the family of God, mercy instead of wrath for our sin, because Jesus has paid it all. Help us then, Lord, today to come to him, to keep coming to him, and that even as he is chosen and precious, that we would find that in believing, we too are chosen and precious sons and daughters of the king. May it be so for our eternal good and for your eternal glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.